Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, Come Home to Me Cliff. Today's episode of No Home for Heroes is taken from case number 0487 in the files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation. (laughs) It's a story that was probably repeated by the thousands during World War II and could easily be titled, Come Home to Me John, or Come Home to Me Bob, or just about any other first name of a school sweetheart going off to war. In fact, Our production engineer, Cindy, suggested we just name the episode, Come Home to Me. But today's story has a closer and a more special meaning, as you will soon hear. I'm your host, Rick Stone, bringing you another great and true story from our vault of history's military mysteries. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the Foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We invite you to listen to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. We dedicate this episode to one loyal supporter of the Foundation, Mr. Alan Richer in New York. For it is Alan's special insight into this mystery that makes the story so compelling. Imagine, if you will, a conversation you might have with your mother as she reached the last stages of her life, during which she confided to you that her first love was not your father. Then, as the conversation continued, your mom shared with you the details of her school sweetheart, Clifford Siegel, and their engagement to be married before he enlisted in the Marines during World War II. As newly appointed Private Siegel boarded the train for Marine Corps boot camp, would he have tried to act like a tough Marine and say something like, I'll be seeing you? Would your mom have kissed him sweetly and said, Come home to me, Cliff? Well, we're taking a little poetic license with that scenario, but we don't know for sure their parting happened in exactly this way. But it's a good bet that whatever tender words were spoken, to a fiancé headed off to war were probably very close to the scenario painted by our imagination today. Private Clifford Siegel stated he was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as one of five children born to Herman and Sarah Siegel. Clifford's father was born in Romania, and Clifford's mother was born in Russia. Clifford's father was employed as a glazer in a glass-cutting store in Newark, New Jersey. And Clifford's mother worked as a sales lady at a dry goods store. At the time of the 1940 census, Clifford was living with his parents, one brother, and three sisters in Newark, New Jersey. Clifford only completed the eighth grade in school before dropping out. And after leaving school, he found a job where he worked as a delivery boy for a meat market and later at the A&P grocery store in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Dropping out of school did not keep Clifford from courting his girlfriend, Ethel. 
Clifford registered for the draft with local board number 40 in Essex County, New Jersey on 30 June 1942. And at that time, Clifford stated his he was about, oh, 68 and a quarter inches tall, weighing a whopping 145 pounds, and he had brown hair, blue eyes, and a light complexion. A school photograph from this era looks remarkably like another New Jersey native you may have heard of, a very young and skinny Frank Sinatra who Cliff and Ethel probably listened to at their local soda shop in Newark on the jukebox, singing his 1940 hit, I'll Be Seeing You. I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places. Clifford enlisted in the United States Marine Corps Reserves in New York, New York on 22 October 1942 when he was given the rank of private. The term of his enlistment was for, quote, the duration of the national emergency, end quote. Private Siegel listed his legal residence as Newark, New Jersey enlisted both his parents as his next of kin. The family residence in Newark at 267 Jelliffe Avenue still stands today. Private Siegel boarded a train in Newark and headed to complete his Marine Corps basic training as a member of the 5th Recruitment Battalion in Paris Island, South Carolina. Private Siegel's last dental examination was on 5 November 1942, shortly after his enlistment, and this fact will become rather important in our investigation. His dental profile included 10 fillings and cavities, two extractions, and one wisdom tooth noted at the time of the examination. In fact, his extensive dental profile excludes him as being a most likely match to any Tarawa unknown who currently has dentition available for comparison. But we're getting a little bit ahead of our story. Private Siegel listed his religious preference as Jewish in his records. The letter H for Hebrew may have been imprinted on his United States Marine Corps identification disc, or better known as dog tags, issued to him on 13 November 1942. Many of you don't know, but in World War II, Jewish servicemen and Jewish servicewomen were given the option of not having a religious designation placed on their dog tags due to the genocidal practices of one of our opponents, Nazi Germany. For this reason, it's not certain that Private Siegel had the designation on his own tags. Private Siegel's medical records indicate that he had no previous bone fractures, breaks, or tattoos. He did have a four-inch operation scar on his lower abdomen, which probably was from an appendectomy. Private Siegel's cap size was 6 and 3 fourths, and he had 20-20 eyesight in both eyes. After graduation from basic training on 13 December 1942, Private Siegel was assigned to the 1st Aerodrome Battalion at the training center in Camp Lejeune, New River, North Carolina, where he was trained to operate the 90mm anti-aircraft gun. On 17 February 1943, Private Siegel, despite his training, was transferred to B Company, Bravo Company, 13th Replacement Battalion, and designated for shipment overseas to the South Pacific. After a cross-country trip 
by train to San Diego, Private Siegel and other members of his battalion boarded the SS Wharton in San Diego Harbor on 12 March 1943 for transport to Wellington, New Zealand. In New Zealand, Private Siegel was assigned to F Company, that's Fox Company, 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, on 10 July 1943. Private Siegel's new unit previously participated in the Guadalcanal Campaign and had been withdrawn to New Zealand for a period of rest, refit, and training in preparation for the invasion of Tarawa. Despite being trained in any aircraft unit, Private Siegel was designated as a rifleman. Private Siegel and his unit embarked aboard the USS Haywood in Wellington Harbor on 16 October 1943 for amphibious landing training along the New Zealand coast. After a brief return to Wellington, the Haywood departed on 1 November 1943 for additional amphibious landing training in the New Hebrides Islands before setting sail for Tarawa. At 017 hours on the first morning of the battle, 20 November 1943, 522 officers and men of the 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, began their assault against Red Beach 3 on Tarawa. They were in multiple waves commanded by Major Jim Crow and were carried toward the shore in an assortment of both amphibious tractors, which were known as LVTs, and Higgins boat landing craft. Fox Company was in one of three waves of landing craft. Two Japanese 70mm anti-boat guns on the eastern end of Basio Island, which was known as Tarawa, spotted the wave of boats and launched sporadic and inaccurate fire at the approaching LVTs. As the first wave of amphibious tractors drew within 500 yards of the beach, Japanese defensive fire struck down about 25 Marines and the leading 12 tractors. The Marines met surprisingly light resistance initially, and almost all of the assault Marines survived to secure a foothold behind the coconut log seawall. After a brief period of reorganization, Private Siegel's unit was directed to attack southeast over the seawall toward a large Japanese bunker just inland from the beach. Resistance from the Japanese defenders became fierce at that point, and all six of Fox Company's officers were either killed or wounded. By early afternoon on the first day, the extent of Fox Company's advance to the east extended just short of a structure known as the Burns Phillip Wharf, and the fortified Japanese bunker proved to be unconquerable for the next two days. An after action report was discovered by Foundation researchers, which provides more specific details on the landing of 2nd Battalion, 8th Marine. Quote, Casualties. I had about 20 or 25 getting in and debarking. I had quite a few casualties in successive waves. They were wading in and amounted to about 8 or 10 percent. Well, 8 or 10 percent of the battalion would be about 50 or 60 Marines. Private Siegel was originally listed as missing in action on 20 November 1943. His United States Marine Corps casualty card lists him as MIA on 20 November 1943 with no burial location or any description of his wounds or injuries. The casualty card notes that his status was changed to killed in action or KIA on 3 March 1944. 
the Graves Registration Unit Barrow Report of January 1944, and Captain E.C.B. Gould in his Island Commander's Report of June 1944, list Private Siegel as missing rather than listing a burial location of unknown, as was noted in many other cases of casualties on Tarawa, who were known killed, but whose grave sites could not be found after the battle. Private Siegel's individual deceased personnel file, sometimes known as an IDPF, states, Disposition of Remains Unknown. And there's no notation in any of Private Siegel's military records as to his cause of death. In 2016, Foundation researchers discovered his, uh, his official military personnel file, sometimes known as an OMPF, at the National Personnel Records Center in Lewis, St. Louis, Missouri. In his OMPF, it stated, Killed on Tarawa, Gilbert Islands, body not recovered. The personal effects of Private Siegel, which were left behind on the transport ship before the battle, were returned to his father with a package of Come Home to Me Cliff letters from Ethel and two personal letters back, which had not yet been mailed. Well, all of this brings us to our Foundation's effort to solve the mystery of what happened to Private Siegel's remains. His extensive dental profile, as we mentioned, excludes him from being any of the unknowns from Parawa who have dentition buried in the punch bowl. These individuals were buried in the punch bowl cemetery in Honolulu, Hawaii in the late 1940s. Using our foundation's random instant statistical correlation system to compare other biometric data sets, there are, however, three possible matches to Private Siegel to the Tarawa unknowns from the punch bowl who did not have cranial or dental remains available when they were recovered. Could Private Siegel be one of these unknowns? If Private Siegel is not one of the possible matches to these unknowns, is he one of 33 current recoveries from Tarawa that the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency has not yet been able to identify? Or was he simply washed out to sea? Or, the final possibility, could Private Siegel lie in an undiscovered grave on Tarawa to this day, awaiting discovery, identification, and return home to his family? Well, at this point, back into the picture steps Ethel's son, Alan Richard, who has become a Foundation volunteer in an attempt to find family members of Private Siegel who can submit their own DNA sample to the Department of Defense for comparison to these three possible matches. Alan has done great work already and has expanded his volunteer activities to include other MIAs from the Battle of Tarawa. Let's hope we can all make Ethel's plea of Come Home to Me Cliff a reality, as we are sure his pledge of I'll be seeing you has no doubt already taken place in heaven. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio Podcasts, Blueberry, or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. We greatly appreciate your comments. 
and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We again thank you, sincerely thank you, for your support of our mission to provide information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Every assistance counts, and you do make a difference. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas, I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them.